to live like you were dying. This is the second week of a three-week series entitled Live Like You Were Dying. And remember last week we talked about living passionately. And I hope some of you went home and said, before I die, I want to. And if I had 30 days to live, this is what I do. And somebody was telling me that, that this morning, they actually did that. And then the Holy Spirit prompted him and, and asked him, well, what would God want you to do if you knew you only had 30 days to live? And most of the time, we don't know how long. Today could be your last day. I hope not, but today could be your last day. And by the way, thanks for coming back. I was kind of afraid after preaching about dying last week, how morbid is that? Spent 25 minutes talking about that. That was, you know, you might have been down. I don't think so, but could have been. And I was just kind of waiting to see whether you'd come back or not. Because it's really not about death. It's more about really living passionately. Somebody said, life is what happens when you're making other plans. Isn't that how life goes? And if we realize the brevity of our lives, hopefully there's a potential that will add clarity and purpose and a sense of urgency in our lives. And I hope that is the case for you. And if you'll remember with me last week, I said this, is, this verse is going to be the theme of this series, and it's Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. And if you'll read it with me again, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Let's do it again. I, I couldn't hear you. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Now, there are a few questions that you could possibly ask yourself. And I was talking to a person, and I hear this kind of thing all the time. And a good friend of theirs, this good friend was a gal who had a husband, went through midlife crisis, crushed, going through a divorce, another woman, and and just a terrible tragedy. And as we go through life, there are some questions we ought to ask. Is it right? Is it good? Well, what does the Bible have to say about that? Does God have something to say about that? I've I've had people come talk to me, and they really don't want to know if the Bible really has something to say. They just want permission to go and do what they want. I have those conversations. Those are hard conversations. But the real question we need to ask is, Is it wise? Is it really wise for me to do this? Is this the right time? Will this leave a good example and a legacy? Not an immediate gratification, emotional decision. But is it wise? That's what the psalm writer is writing. Thomas Kempis said, Vanity it is to wish to live long and to be careless to live well. And the question is, are you just going through the motions of living or do you have a life? 
I was reading a book about MBAs, actually an article about going and getting an MBA, and the average MBA is like a $100,000 to $200,000 investment in two years of your life, a master's in business administration, and they say the return on the investment isn't worth the money. And if you would just focus and you'd read some books in that area, then, and, and, and I don't mean to offend you if you have an MBA, and you've spent all that money, but typically the return on investment requires you to have a better job and to work longer and harder, and you're not really living. Well, you're living, but you're really not having a life. And a lot of people don't get that job, and so they're serving that debt, and then they're in servitude to that indebtedness. And so the question, the question I want to ask today is, if you were to die today, if you were to pass away sometime in the next 30 days, would you really be at peace in your relationships? Because if you boil it down and if you made some lists, and I hope you did, about your last 30 days, what would you do? I hope at the top of your list would be your spouse, your family, your bestest friends, not your acquaintances, but your bestest friends that you would choose to spend your, your time with them, to invest in those relationships. Is that what, isn't that what you would do? I think I, someone told me that they would spend every evening with their family having dinner together for their last 30 days. But I want you to think about this, and, I, and I've had some funerals like this, so just listen to this. This lady's name was Dolores Aguilar. She was born in New Mexico and left us, this is her daughter writing, left us when she was 79 years old. She, she, will, be met, she will be met in the afterlife by her husband and her son. Dolores had no hobbies, made no contribution to society, and rarely shared a kind word or deed in her life. I speak for the majority of her family when I say her presence will not be missed by many, Very few tears will be shed, and there will be no lamenting over her passing. Her family will remember Dolores, and amongst ourselves, we will remember her in our own way, which were mostly sad and troubling times throughout the years. This is a real obituary. We may have have some fond memories of her, and perhaps we will think of those times too. But I truly believe at the end of the day, all of us will really only miss what we never had, a good and kind mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother. I hope she is finally at peace with herself, and as for the rest of us left behind, I hope this is the beginning of a time of healing and learning to be a family again. There will be no service, no prayers, and no closure for the family she spent a lifetime tearing apart. We cannot come together in the end to see to it that her grandchildren and great-grandchildren, great-grandchildren can say their goodbyes. So I say here for all of us, goodbye, Mom. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? That type of relationship. I've been in situations and funerals where I'd ask the family, is there anything you'd like for me to say? No. Hmm. Difficult situation. Mm Mm-hmm. So 
as I was preparing this message, thinking about loving completely those around you in your final days, in your final hours, what would that be like? But also, what would happen if we loved incompletely? Because if you look at Dolores Aguilar's life, there was some unfinished business there, wasn't there? There was some destroyed relationships. There was some anger and some hostility. And wouldn't you want to make those things right before you passed into the next life? And so the question is, what does an incomplete love look like? And how would that work? Because loving relationships, they're important. And to exist in life just all by yourself would be a very lonely, depressing experience. And so today I want to look at two kinds of love very quickly. And most of you know this. There's a vertical kind of love, a love between us and God that we're taught in Scripture. And there is a horizontal love, a love between you and I, a love between you and your spouse, you and your family, you and your boyfriend or girlfriend or friends. Now, we sometimes we talk about the horizontal love and the vertical love, and they run parallel, and they never touch, and they don't exist. But I would, I would suggest to you that they intersect. And it's sort of like riding a bike, a bicycle, and there are two wheels on a bike. And so you can say you can love God, but not love people which is kind of a tendency that we have, if we're really, really honest. And so that's like trying to ride a bicycle only on one wheel or without a wheel. Now, that's nearly impossible. And you say, well, I can ride a unicycle. Well, I'm not talking about a unicycle. I'm talking about a bicycle. And and perhaps that's possible, but it'd be really, really hard. And so you need that second wheel, whether you need the vertical love and the horizontal love, or you have the horizontal love to your fellow man and the vertical love of God. Two kinds of love. And that, that's pretty simple, isn't it? Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. And this is what he said, and you're, you're familiar with this passage, but I want, I want you to hear it with fresh ears and fresh eyes. If you have your Bibles or your phones or your tablets, please go there. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. And this is what Jesus says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. Now it's interesting. Jesus says these are interrelated. And Scripture teaches this. And then he says it hangs or it depends on on this, on these two commands. Now, I've got a picture for you this morning. If we get it up there. Does anybody know who that is? Brian somehow asked me to ask this question because he knew who it was. Anybody know? Ernest Hemingway. Who said that? All right, very good. Ernest Hemingway. Now, this is Ernest Hemingway, and he wrote a short story. It's about a Spanish father 
and his son Paco, and they had a falling out. And it was so intense and so angry that Paco left a small Spanish village and went to Madrid, big city. His father was heartbroken. And so after a period of time, his father went to Madrid and he published in the newspaper and he, and, and he said, Paco, all is forgiven. Meet me at the Madrid Hotel this Tuesday at noon. And so the Spanish father went to the Madrid Hotel that Tuesday. Do you know what he found? 800 Pacos. <laughs> Not tacos, Pacos. Brokenhearted. And this kind of parallels Ernest Hemingway's life. If you know anything about Ernest Hemingway, he had a terrible relationship with his mother and his father. In fact, they were Christians. But there was very little love in that relationship. In fact, he would go and visit them, and they would not receive him into their home. He would write them letters, and they wouldn't open them. They'd send them back unopened, returned. Terrible. Eventually, Ernest Hemingway's father killed himself. And you know what his mom did? She blamed Ernest And she sent him a letter with the pistol in the package that his father had used to kill himself and said, you're to blame. Ernest Hemingway is quoted as saying, I have no use for your Christianity nor for your Savior. Because you see, he couldn't separate his parents, his father, his mother, from the God that we love and serve because there was confusion in those roles. And we have people sitting here today that have a hard time relating to a heavenly Father, that vertical relationship, loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind because of the abuse, the unforgiveness, the unlovedness, I don't know if that's the word, the lack of compassion, And that's what Ernest Hemingway felt. Robert Browning said, Without love, our earth is a tomb. Without love, our earth is a tomb. Isn't that sad? But with love, it changes everything. And it's like resurrected life. Sound familiar? 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. If you ever study Scripture very deeply, it's important to know what words mean. And the English Standard Version that we use, using that that verse, see what kind of love, actually is the same word as agape, as a lavish kind of love. I hope every one of you have someone in your life that you love lavishly and loves you lavishly. Can you think of that person? I can think of that my my that person in my life was my grandma. She loved me lavishly. 
When I went to her house one time, well, a lot of times, I'd spend the night at her house, and we would end up going to the grocery store. I don't know why, but she she would. And you know what she'd do? She'd buy me whatever I wanted. (laughs) One time we had chicken gizzards for supper. My grandpa wasn't thrilled. And I think he even said, Mid, why did you buy these? Chris wanted them. I hope you have somebody that lavishly loves you. That's how God loves you, lavishly. And it's hard if we have those authority figures or broken relationships with our our, our parents or our fathers to really understand the love of God that, that he has for us. Now, there's different types of love. We can say we love hamburgers, we love hot dogs, we love pizza, we love our girlfriend, we love our boyfriend, we love our dog, I love my car, I love, you know, a lot around here, I love my truck. All that goes on. But there are different types of love. And the first one I want to look at is eros love. And this is kind of the erotic, romantic kind of love that that we we experience when we're young can you remember that first love that puppy love that's that from a neurological or or hormonal aspect uh there is a hormone that goes along with it, it lasts about uh, 8 to 12 weeks it's called dopamine and so you get that euphoric feeling in that relationship and you'll notice it in middle school that relationships last about three months eight eight weeks to three months so parents if you're waiting for your daughter to dump that boyfriend or girlfriend 12 weeks they'll probably be over it they'll finally figure out that he's a dirt bag they'll get it 12 weeks your son with the the girl that you don't like 12 weeks in middle school but we work through that type of love don't we and then there's the phileo love, phileo love, which is kind of a friendship kind of love. I have a little story here. These are from five, six, and seven-year-olds. They're talking about love. Seven-year-old Noel, she says, love is when you tell a boy you like his shirt and then he wears it every day. Seven-year-old Lauren, I know my older sister loves me because she gives me her clothes and has to go out and buy new ones. That's pretty nice. Five-year-old Carl, he writes, love is when girls put on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. (laughs) I like them. Phileo love, eros love, and then finally agape love. Agape love is God's love. And if you're married or in a relationship, lifelong relationship, that's really, that's really what you have to have because eros love wears out. Phileo love won't take the test, but agape love is undeserved, unchanging, everlasting, committed whether they love you or not. That's the kind of love that God God has for us. And, and one of the most powerful passages of Scripture is Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. It says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that amazing? What kind of love does He love us with? I don't go by a week or a month without talking to somebody about the love of God. 
And, and typically it goes like this. I don't understand a God that could destroy so many different people groups and be so ruthless in the Old Testament and, and, and be so nice in the New Testament. Is he just cranky in the Old Testament and nice in the New Testament? Is, does he have a, a personality disorder of some type? I have conversations like that all the time. No, God is the same. If you look in the Old Testament, you search for it. He loved his people. He drew them out. He favored them all the way through. He was faithful even when they were unfaithful. They were disciplined. They were punished. They were loved. But they were brought back. And in the New Testament, we see it in the cross. Now, Paul talks about love this way in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Paul, the persecutor of the church who gave his life for the faith, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, that's reality, isn't it? If you're married and you've been married for a while, you're not newlyweds or on the honeymoon, you kind of bear with each other a little bit. You know a lot of the good things, but you know a lot of the bad things. They don't listen. They don't do this. They don't do that. If only. It's sort of like a porcupine relationship, isn't it? At times. Let's be honest. Here is the North American porcupine. Isn't he cute? Did you know that he's in the rodent family? He's the second largest rodent besides the beaver in North America. And he doesn't shoot his quills out. Did you know that? you got to be hit by them. And they also, before they quill you, if they can, they stink really, really bad. They release a smell that's awful. But when you get in, and and typically there are 30,000 quills on a porcupine. 30,000, that's a lot. And they're two to three inches long. And they have barbs on them. And he can flatten them, but when he gets scared or when he's in a defensive posture, he will not flatten those quills, but bring them up. And he will swing that tail at you. And what happens when you get stuck by a porcupine uh, quill, not pill, porcupine quill, there's a microscopic barb. And what will occur as your body temperature warms that quill that it will dig down into your skin. And if it hits a vital organ, it can kill you. Now, what's also interesting, and this is fascinating, is that the porcupine is one of the few animals that actually produces its own antibiotic in case it quills itself accidentally. (laughs) Did you know that? I didn't know that. Now, The porcupines obviously get together every once in a while, but porcupines are typically a solitary animal, not very friendly. Now, wolves travel in packs. Sheep in a group is called a herd. What's another? Uh, Wolves, sheep, oh, lions and a All right, my favorite is, you know what you call a group of vultures? Anybody know? This is one of my favorites. A committee. (laughs) And do you know what a group of porcupines are called? A prickle. I'm serious, they're called a prickle. 
Now, don't live your life like a porcupine. Amen? We need to love each other and bear with one another. But, but sometimes it's like a porcupine dance. So how do you get close without getting hurt in a relationship? And my comment to that or answer to that is you don't. If you really, really love people and you really, really love someone, you're going to get hurt at times. But that's okay. We've been given grace. We can forgive. Author Anne Lamott writes, I am one of those Christians who are not heavily into forgiveness. I am of the other kind. What would that be? Now, she says this in jest, but when you think about it, if that's true about us, then then by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, we need to change. If we're carrying around that bitterness and that anger, we need to let it go. Because it's like drinking rat poison and expecting the other person to die, isn't it? Because we're only harming ourselves. Paul also writes, and this is beautiful. It's amazing that a man could write this. Obviously, inspired by the Holy Spirit. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but do not have love, I've gained nothing. So Paul is saying that this love is more important than anything else. And I think the saddest thing that could happen in our lives is to live our lives outside of relationships and outside of community because we can't get along. And the question that brings us to this question, is there a person in your life that you need to love more completely? And as I was preparing for this sermon and and praying about it, I was thinking about the people in my life that I need to love more completely. If I only had 30 days to live, who would they be? What would I say? How would I want to finish that relationship and prepare for eternity? Galatians 5, 6, Paul again says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. The only thing that counts is our faith working through love. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is, where you're from, what you've done, but your faith working through love. Now, in John chapter 3, verse 16 and 18, this is something I want to contrast with another 1 John 3, 16 and 18. We know this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but through through him the world might be saved. But then look at 1 John 3, 16 and 17. Contrast this, and this again just illustrates the point illustrates the point of the bicycle. It says, By this we know love, 
that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You know, John says, John 3.16, this is the love of God. But then he says, if God loves you and you believe and are in relationship with God, then you're going to love your fellow man. Just like the bicycle. It's intersecting. How we treat others really reflects how we love God. In 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It just repeats. I mean, this is the way it's supposed to be in community. We are supposed to be the most loving community that exists on earth. And I, and I just love that. You love that about loving community? Absolutely, I love that. I have some friends that are Muslims. A lot of times, some of you all have a real problem with me having friends that are Muslims. I'm okay with that. Because if, if nobody ever talks to a Muslim, how are they ever going to know Jesus outside of a miraculous, what do I want to say, dream or vision that God gives them? And, and God does that. But I find this so fascinating that I, I, a friend of mine, Khalid, has gone back to Saudi Arabia, and he was in our Toastmasters Club. Muhammad and, and Khalid said the same thing, and Muhammad went back to Saudi Arabia last year. And, and I found it fascinating. I said to Khalid, as his final table topics in our Toastmasters Club in Vigo County, I said, Khalid, if there's anything that you could take back from the United States that you liked in our culture and take it back to Saudi Arabia, what would it be? He said, you know, in the United States, people smile at you. People smile at you. And I said, well, tell me a little bit more about that. What do you mean? He said, well, they're friendly. They, 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 they talk to you, and they're nice to you, and they're kind. I said, that doesn't go on in Saudi Arabia? Not so much. I said, don't you laugh and have a good time? Not so much. I said, really? That's fascinating. Muhammad said the same thing. I said, why is that? Well, we're very serious. Well, wouldn't that be a shame to live your whole life and being serious and never smile and never joke and never cut up with your family and with your friends and, and really love each other? And, and, and I think, you know, we are a hopeful people even in the United States still. Because we believe in general that there's something better than this. Now in Islam, you, you walk the razor's edge. You may or, it's kind of willy-nilly. Allah, you don't have any assurance of salvation. But we do in Christ. Because we have a God that loves us. That wants to be in relationship with us. John fifteen seventeen. Jesus says this. These things I command you so that you will love one another. That you will love. This is a command that Jesus gave. We don't really have a choice. When Jesus says it's a command, it's a command. And you say, well, I know that. Well, you better. But are you doing it? 
Are you known by your love in your relationships? And finally, 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. You can't cover a multitude of sins if you're bitter and holding a grudge. Can you? This morning, as we wrap up, I just want to ask you, do you choose to love completely or incompletely? Are you loving completely or incompletely? In Luke 15, and these are, these are familiar stories, Luke 15, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. You know the story of the prodigal. Dad, can I have my inheritance? This kid was a rebel with a cause. His father didn't have to give him one-third or approximately one-third of the inheritance, but he does. And he goes off after a time, after he collects it all together, and, and he goes spending it, to spend it in riotous living, reckless living. Now, does the father go after him and search for him in that faraway country? No. He ends up in the pig pen after it's all gone, and there's a famine. And then he, in his mind, he says, you know, my dad treats his servants, his employees, better than this. So he tucks his tail between his legs, and he heads back home. But before he even can hit the gate of the house, the father runs out to meet him, throws his arms around him and kisses him, and says, hey, go get a robe, go get a ring, kill the fattened calf, our son's home, because he lavishly loved him. Now, the older brother responds with, hey, what's the deal? What's the deal? Never did this for me. Poor baby. Poor baby. I think there's a little bit of insecurity. Here, the oldest son is going to get two-thirds of the inheritance. He stayed. Dad relies on him. He's responsible, like most of you are responsible. And the father says this. He says, everything I have is yours. Don't worry about it. Come and celebrate with us your brother's return. You know, folks, when I, when I speak to you all, you're the saved. You've been here, and, and you love Jesus, and that's great. And I, and I love you. I, and, and you are in the hug. But at the same time, a lot of times we're not reluctant to make a change, to, to allow for others who are far away from God to come in to our church and into our community because they don't look like us, they don't smell like us, they don't act like us. Nope, they don't because they are far from God. They haven't received what you've received. They don't know what you know. And we've got to make room around the table. And that's what God is, or, or the Father is telling this older son. We've got to make room around the table for this younger son. This relationship's being restored. And God calls us to do that, to love completely, not incompletely. Will you please stand as I pray?